this is one of those topical messages where I preach about the Bible. I'm dealing with a topic, a subject, but I'm going to endeavor to give you what the Scripture teaches and not make it say what I want it to say. So Genesis 2, in verse 18, again, we'll start there, And then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl there and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. Whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. Adam gave names to all the cattle, to all the fowl of the air, to every beast of the field. For Adam there was not found and help meet for him. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. He slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity that we have to open your precious word. We thank you, Father, for the instruction that you give us concerning the institution of the home and marriage. And I pray, Father, that you would give us wisdom and understanding into thy truth. Help me as I preach. Give wisdom in handling the word of God that it might be effectual to work in our lives to encourage us and strengthen us in our walk with you and enlighten us unto this um, all-important institution of marriage which you have ordained and you have designed. And, Father, that we might fulfill your will in it uh, for our good and thy glory, we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 2 is kind of a commentary on Genesis chapter 1. You know, if you if you read through Genesis chapter one and two, you're going to find it's not necessarily chronological. Uh, in Genesis one, he talks about how God created everything. He created a male and female, and in Genesis two, he tells us how he made a woman. You know, so so Genesis one already is like he made the woman already, but Genesis two is telling us how he made her, and the purpose for which he made her. You know, there are two commands given in Genesis chapter 1. One's a positive, one's a negative. The first one is found in, in verse uh, 26. Uh, actually, the second command is in chapter 2. The first, first command he gives in these first two chapters is found in chapter 1, verse 26. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image God created him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Now, as we think about this command, there really is kind of two here. He says they're to be fruitful, multiply, but that was really, 
you know, he's talking about being fruitful and lawless. He's talking about the animals also. And, but he's, he tells man particularly, he's to have dominion over the earth. In other words, it's, it's like he is, God has given the responsibility to take care of the earth to Adam. That, to Adam. He was given that dominion. He was given, if you will, the title deed to it. It was his responsibility to dress it and to keep it, to control the animals. You know, animals are made for our use. They're made for our use. You know, I was watching some of the RNC speeches. One of the speeches was given by a lobster fisherman from Maine. I had a little interest there because we lived in Maine for a while. And he was talking about how, you know, environmentalism, radical environmentalism has hurt the lobster business because they want to protect the lobsters, you know. He said nobody wants to protect the lobsters more than we do because if we don't protect them, we're going to be out of a job. We know more about lobster fishing and lobster life than the environmentalists do. You know, man was to have dominion. That's control. He subdued the animal kingdom. You know, if you let, if you let if you let the animal kingdom just go, let's just let it go out its, you know, its instinct and its nature, it is going to be chaos. Just as even the, the vegetable kingdom, uh, I remember when we, when we lived in Maine, there was, of course, there's this, uh, you know, environmentalism is very active in every part of the world, but, one of the one of the things environmentalists are pushing in Maine was to make northern Maine into a a, a natural reserve or park, a world park, not a national park, but a world park. And you know, there's the Allegash Wilderness up there they call it, and of course, uh, the industry there is logging. You know, that's the big industry up there, and so they're they're shutting down. Mill after mill after mill, environmentalists. And one guy wrote an article concerning if you let the wilderness just to itself, there'll be no life. He said when Benedict Arnold marched through the Maine wilderness over Sugarloaf Mountain in northern Maine to, to Canada, he nearly starved to death with his men because the, all the natural forest had never been cut and, the, and the, the forest was so big and so shaded, nothing would grow on the forest floor. Therefore, all the wildlife left the area. There was nothing to eat. He said, you need, you need wildlife and, uh, you, know, and uh, you need uh, conversation. Uh, uh, management of these forests, you need to cut it once in a while so you get new growth. That's why, you see, God made it for us to use, not for it just to go to itself. So man was given dominion. That's a long story. So man was given dominion over the earth. He was given that responsibility. He was to be fruitful and multiply. And then he was told one other thing he was commanded not to do, and that was to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But, you know, one of, as we think about what our subject tonight, he was created to be fruitful and, of course, to have dominion. Uh, and, and for this to happen, of course, you know, man can't be fruitful by himself. 
He needs a help meet or fit for him. Now, there's more to that than just, you know, being fruitful and having children. Uh, but God, God created the woman so the man is able to be fruitful and multiply. Uh, and, and, and so, you know, this is God's program. This is God's plan, as I said last week, is to raise up godly seed. Now, to understand God's purpose in raising up a godly seed, we have to understand what was the purpose God made man? Why'd he make us? God made man for fellowship. And God desires that we raise up children that will fellowship with him. Of course, that's going to require they have a relationship with him. And so there, there, there comes in the idea of raising the godly seed. Now, let me, let me give a couple uh, clarifications here. Not everyone's going to get married. Not everyone's going to get married. And not everyone has children or lots of children or multiplies. You know, if you're going to, what they say, I think if you're going to multiply yourself, you have to have 2.3 or something like that, children. I don't know how you get a point third one, but, but uh, you know what I mean. There, there has to be more than just two to be multiplication. Now, that's, that's God's plan, and that's a normal thing, but not everybody has it. You know, some of the godliest people in the Bible did, had one. Abraham and Sarah had one child. Isaac and Rebekah had two. And Zachariah and Elizabeth didn't have any for years. And the Bible says they were both righteous walking in the Lord. And then they did have one. Of course, that was John the Baptist, the greatest man born of woman. But you know, John the Baptist never married. So, you know, we can see that this is, this is God's plan for marriage. But we, we live in a sin-cursed world and for, for reasons that sometimes we don't understand. Not everything happens as we think it should. So, as we think about this, that, you know, God did create us to be fruitful, you know, and, and I know there was a, you know, even uh, there was a couple in another church we were part of for a while, and they were almost retirement age, and um, they served in the ministry there, and, and, and they gave their testimonies at some point there when we were there. But anyway, and, and the, the wife said, you know, God never gave us children. But we have a lot of spiritual children. God just never gave them children. So, so, so as we think about this tonight, as we think about God's plan, you know, this is the command that God gave, and we ought to be willing and obedient to, to fulfill that plan for us. Uh, and, of course, this required that God also create a woman for the man to be a help meet for him. Now, that's, that's, uh, that's two words. Help means to aid. Meet means fit. Fit. And as we think about the, 
the wife being a help meet to her husband, she is a help that is fit. Fit. Supplements. Somebody has said she wasn't she wasn't taken from under uh, uh, you know God made woman not out of a man's foot to be under him, not out of his head to be over him. She was taken from under his arm that he might protect her and from next to his heart that he might love her. Uh, when God made woman, you know, she was not the first, there was already a man. And that this tells us that, you know, though she was created to be perfectly suited to him, thus she was to be support, subordinate in relationship. And this is, of course, before the curse. Uh, so this idea of, of, of a wife being in submission to her husband is not the result of the curse. It was God's design from the beginning. God's design from the beginning. And to raise a godly seed, again, God intends or desires, His plan is for a complete family, a dad and a mom. Now we have, we have single parent homes today. That's a difficult situation. And God, you know, and, and you know, in, in times of, of when things like this happen, and they do happen because we live in a sin-cursed world, and sometimes we can't prevent those things, God can intervene and give grace and strength, even in situations like that. Though that's not that wasn't God's plan from the beginning. And so, as we think about God's plan and God's design for the home, of course. We're going to, we're, I'm going to look at tonight the Christian husband, and then, of course, next week I won't be preaching Sunday night, but the following week my plan is to look at the Christian wife, and then the, the next week I'd, I'm going to try, what I'm going to try and do is demonstrate how they complement each other, how they complement each other. So I'm hopefully going to try and do that a uh, uh, couple weeks out. Uh, because that is God's plan. Again, she is a help, meet, or fit for him. Uh, your husbands have strengths that wives don't. Wives have strengths that husbands don't. Husbands have tend to have faults that wives don't. And wives tend to have faults that husbands don't. And and And... and Lord willing, we're going to try and see that uh, to help us uh, in our in our relationships uh, with the Lord in in raising a godly seed. So first tonight, the Christian husband, as we look at, as we consider the Christian husband, uh, he is of course to love his wife. Go to Ephesians chapter five. You know, I mentioned that she he was she was taken from his side, from under his arm, to protect her from his hard area, so that he would love her. Speaks as as he is to love her, uh, Ephesians five and verse twenty five. 
Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own husbands, and he that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet, no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. We are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. And so on. So, so here the Bible commands that, you know, a, a husband is to love his wife because God commands it so. We are commanded, husbands, we are commanded to love our wives. This is given very plainly here in Ephesians chapter 5. And in other places, Colossians 3 and verse 19, he says, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Uh, so we are commanded by God to love our wives. We love our wives the same way that Christ loved the church, he says. That speaks of a sacrificial love, an, an unconditional love. A love that doesn't have boundaries. Well, if you do this, I'll do, I will love you. That's what agape love is. You know, it'll love you no matter what. You know, Christ loved us while we were at enmity against him. Uh, you know, he died for us when we were the enemies of him. We were sinners in need of a savior. And that's how Christ loved us. And that's how we are to love our wives. We are to give, we're, as it were, give our lives to preserve hers. Uh, a husband is to love his wife as he loves his own body. All of us. We want to take care of ourselves. I mean, it's natural for us to, to seek what we want. To take good care of us. You know, if you, if you, uh, uh, are going to see something that you really like. Are you naturally just going to sit in the furthest seat away? No, you want to you want to see the action. You want to get near it so you can get the best view because you. I mean, that's you know, well, that's for your benefit, and so uh, that is natural for us to love our, ourselves. And the Bible says here that in verse twenty-eight. Men ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. She is, Adam said, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. So he would love his wife even as he would meet the needs of his own body, so must he meet the, meet the needs of his wife. You know, whether they be emotional needs, physical needs, spiritual needs, or recreational needs. He's going to endeavor to meet those needs. Uh, he's to love his wife as himself. He should treat her, try to meet her personality needs as much as possible. If she is joyful, he can share that joy. If she's discouraged, he tries to encourage her. If she is defeated, he tries to lift her up. Uh, he is to dwell. It speaks of 
you know, uh, dwelling speaks of uh, in union, residing, we're living together. Dwell with her according to knowledge. Go to First Peter chapter three. First Peter chapter three, and verse seven it says, "Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them." That means to reside, to live together. Dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. So we're to dwell with them according to knowledge. That, that means we need to, to know our wives, to study them, to see what they need, and try to meet those needs. It means we give in consideration to the wife because she is the weaker vessel. Now, that means she, you know, in a normal, in a normal sense, I know there are some manly women around the world today. But normally, a woman is weaker physically than a man. She does not have the endurance, has the physical strength that a man does. That's the way God made her. Because God made her for us to protect. And of course, you know, a lot of these manly women, they don't want no man protecting them. No, God made a woman to be protected. And made us with a desire to protect her. Uh, you know, so she's physically and emotionally weaker. Normally, that's the normal way of things. I know there's some emotionally weak men, but in the normal circumstances, normally, women are emotionally weaker. And so, uh, we are to give consideration to that and dwell with them according to knowledge. Uh, we're to love our wives constantly. Mentioned this a little bit. Proverbs seventeen seventeen says, A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Uh, we are to love our wives at all times. That's how Christ loved the church. There was no conditions He put on it. Christ doesn't put conditions on His love for us. Colossians 3.19 says, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Now why does it say that? Why does it say be not bitter against them? Do you ever think that Adam could have been really ticked that Eve was deceived so easily by the devil? I mean, she was. She was deceived. And she encouraged him. Now, the Bible says he knew what he was doing. He ate thereof. He knew what he was doing. Eve was deceived. You know, he could have been, he could have been bitter the rest of his life that she enticed him or encouraged him to sin. But the Bible doesn't give any indication he was. You see, the woman being physically and emotionally weaker, there are going to be times you know, that, that she may do things that irritate you. Close your ears, women. You know, you're not supposed to hear this. But it is true. They may, try, they may use manipulation. Many women manipulate men. And, and it can cause men to become bitter against them. 
But the Bible says here, husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. You know, bitterness is a root of resentment. Root of resentment. See, we're to love our wives constantly, like as Christ loved the church. You know, we're to demonstrate that love for her by telling her. Your wife likes to hear, I love you. Don't be like the man. He told his wife when he got married, when he married her, they loved her. And years and years and years went by. And she said one day, do you still love me? He said, I told you I loved when I married you. If I ever change my mind, I'll let you know. So, you see, women need that reassurance that they are loved. You know, one of the ways we can assure our wives more than just words, though they need to hear words, that they are loved is that apart from God, she comes first. You know, God gave, if you're married and you have children, God gave you a wife before he gave you children. And God gave you a wife as a helpmeet to help you raise those children. Don't put your children before your wife or your husband before your children. You know, it's been said, not in who first coined it, the best thing you can do for your children is love their, love their father or love their mother. So assure her that she is first apart from God. Apart from God. Demonstrate love for her by being a gentleman. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. 1 Peter 3, verse 8. <clears throat> you know, a real man is a gentleman. 1 Peter 3, verse 8 says, Finally be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another, Love us, brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. So being courteous, tender, compassionate, respectful, showing appreciation. You know, the, the, the husband of the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31.8, it says he praised her. He praised her. He appreciated her. And we as husbands need to appreciate, show appreciation for our wives. This is, to be honest, this is one I have to work on. I'm not the most vocal person in the world. It's funny that I'm a pastor and do a lot of speaking, but, you know, but uh, uh, <coughs> we need to, our wives need to know that they are appreciated, they are valued. Her price, a virtuous woman, her price is far above rubies, Proverbs 31 says. A Christian husband will also lead his wife. Now, there's, there's some unbiblical concepts uh, that are prevalent in the world today when we talk about leadership. And that is, of course, the idea that the husband dominates the wife. You know, he's a dictator over her. That's not really what the Bible says. 
not that the Bible teaches. She's not a doormat. Or that the wife dominates the husband. You know, we often joke about, you know, well, she's got a ring in his nose and she reads, leads him around by it, you know. No, that's not, that's not, that's not biblical either. Or there's another idea that's very prevalent in our world today is the family is democratic. In other words, we share leadership roles. That is not biblical either. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. The husband is the head of the wife. Adam was made first. Eve was made from Adam. Speaking of Submission or subordination. In other words, she is under him in means of authority. Now, other than authority, they are equals. They just have different roles. It's sort of like, what's the difference between blue and, blue, blue and red? Well, nothing really, but they are different. What's the difference between hot water and cold? Well, they're both water. It's just that they're a different temperature. And their uses would be different. Their roles are different. That's the way it is with a husband and wife. They are equals before God as persons, as human beings, but in the marriage, there's an authority that God has set up and the husband is to be the head of the wife. She's to be in submission to him. And of course, as we think about this, you know, again, he's not, it's not a domination of the wife. It is, you know, the Bible speaks of, uh, when leading, really when you lead, you know what you're doing, you're serving. A good leader is a servant. If you, again, if you watch the RNC speeches, one of the things you're going to pick up is that the president cares for people. He tries to help people be the most that they can be. He's a good leader. He's not just out about himself. He's out to help people become better people. See, that's serving people. And that's what Jesus came to do in Matthew chapter 20. You know, Jesus is the head of the church. And yet in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 20 through 28, Matthew 20, and I can read all this for sake of time, but uh, you know, John, James, and John, the mother of James and John, came to him and, and asked if her two sons could sit on the right hand and they on the left hand in the kingdom. In verse twenty-two, it says, "Jesus answered and said, You know not what you ask. Are you able to drink of the cup that I should drink of, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with?" They say unto him, "We be are able." He said unto them. Ye shall indeed drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit in my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to whom is prepared my father. When the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. Jesus called them unto him and said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. Whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister." Whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. See, though Jesus is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the church, 
He served it. He was a servant. To those disciples, he served them. He trained them. He gave, his, he gave himself to them. And that's how a husband is to lead his wife and his home. To get, it requires a giving of himself, of his time, his energies, his mind. And so, you know, somebody has said, you, you, if you don't learn to serve, you will not learn to lead. You know, before Joshua became the leader of Israel, you know what he was? He was a servant of Moses. And Joshua is known as one of the greatest leaders Israel ever had. But before he became the leader, he served Moses. I mean, we find him on the mount with Moses. We find him in the tabernacle with Moses. You know, wherever it seems like wherever you find Moses, it's a good chance you're going to find Joshua too. Because he was his servant. And you know what he learned following Moses? He learned to serve. He learned, he learned to serve and therefore he learned how to lead. Because he saw Moses. You know, Moses wasn't a dictator. Moses simply told the people what God told him. Because Moses was a servant. Though he was the leader in the eyes of men, he was simply God's servant. He was following his authority and transferring the message from his authority to those people. He was a servant. In the same way, as husbands, we to serve our wives and our homes. Of course, the Bible speaks of this of the Lord Jesus also in Philippians chapter 2 in verses 6 through eight, uh, 5 through 8 where it says, But let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the servant of men, was made in the likeness of men, being found in a fashion as a man. He, he found in fashion as a man. He um, submitted himself... Found in the fashion of man, he humbled himself and became immediate unto death, even the death of the cross. You see, he served. Now, he is not our servant. He is not in submission to us. He is our head who served us. It's our head who served us. You know, and, a, and the fact that a husband would, would serve or to try and help or, or lead his wife means that he's He's her authority. He's her head. He's one there to help, to aid, to protect. Servant's attitude. You know, if you have a servant's attitude, you don't dominate or run roughshod over people under you. Again, Jesus said, this kind of this kind of authority is not going to be among you. You know, the Bible commands us. God commands us in His Word. But you know what He does? It's up to us to obey those commands. Now, there are consequences if we don't. But if you don't want to obey God, you don't have to. It's your choice.
know, that would be a terrible thing if it would come to that in a home. Because in, in, in a situation like that, marriage is really kind of over. But so it's a servant leadership. But the husband is the head of the home. Ephesians 5, again, and, and verse 23. <clears throat> Ephesians 5, 23. But the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. What does it mean that the husband is to be the head of the wife or the head of the home? Well, it means he must take initiative in spiritual matters. Teaching the family. Take responsibility for teaching, training. He is, take, is to take financial responsibility for the home. Now, this does not mean that he, might, that he, that he will not delegate some things to his wife because she's there to help. You know, if you have a wife that's really good with figures, there's nothing wrong with her taking care, balancing the checkbook and all that kind of thing. There's nothing wrong with that. That's, I mean, let her do it. Uh, you know. But, he, but the responsibility to see that it's done is his. He must supervise the disciplining of children. This is very important. Uh that, again, that does not mean he does all the disciplining. But I will say this, fathers, there's something about a dad disciplining his child that a mother does not have the same effect. And I believe it's instilled by God because the father in the home is a figure of God. A picture. And there's just, I know from experience, and I've had other people tell me, there's just something about, it. you know, a dad disciplining a child that a mother just doesn't seem to have the same effect. Even if they've given the same number of swats, even if they cry just as much, it just doesn't have same effect. Discipline the children. He is to direct the family in the will of God. The direction of the family. This would, of course, uh, of course, along with spiritual matters, this would where they go to church. I mean, you need to have a man that has convictions about what is right about a church. Now we're going here. Somebody not too long ago tried to pass that buck on to his wife. And I said, no, 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 you can't do that. Because you're the one that's responsible. You're the one that was responsible. God makes you responsible. And I don't care what she would have said. You're the one that's responsible. I do know some places, you know, a wife can make it very difficult for a husband. But a situation like that, a husband needs to determine he's going to do what's right even if she don't follow. And then pray for her and challenge her. That's difficult, I know, but it's, it's the right thing to do. 
Uh, he is to be the primary source of income. You see, we have this idea today that it's her money and his money and, and, uh, uh, you know, we, we both got incomes and, and, you know, so uh, it's my money. No, no, no. He said we're to be one flesh and part of, you know, that one flesh speaks of unity. It speaks of unity. Not just the physical relationship, but there's a unity in the bond of marriage. And, and, and we shouldn't have this, this is my money and this is your money. No, I say it's all my money. And it's all your money. Because she's a help meet. A lot of divorces come about because they argue about, that's one of the major causes of divorce, is money. And in today's world, where many women have careers, many wives have careers, it is a thorn in the flesh. They start arguing about money. I remember we had a family that I worked for, and they used to go to, go to Florida on vacation with another older couple. He said it was almost hilarious, but it was sad. That couple was arguing about, well, you know, well, that's my money. That's my money. You know, there's this constant bickering back and forth. And, you know, you don't have to be short of money to argue about that because they weren't. It wasn't the problem that they didn't have. The problem is they were selfish. They weren't united. They weren't one. But he is to be the primary source of income. The Bible makes that very clear. Uh, he, he must make sanctified decisions. That means we need to, uh, as husbands, we need to make decisions that glorify and honor the Lord, that are right in the sight of God, that are according to the Word of God. If, if we're going to be able to lead our wives and our children, we have to make this be able to make decisions know what the word of god says and make decisions that are right in the sight of god i know this is a little personal here but in my family my dad has been discredited many times because he didn't make right decisions you know what that does? That undermines a father's authority. It creates a disrespect. Yeah, and we're not perfect. There is no such thing as a perfect father. But we need to be able to know what the Bible says and to make an application to life that is right and pleasing to the Lord. If we want our children to respect us, to follow us, to be obedient to us. We, it needs to be, you know, when they're little, we can simply say, you obey me, because I said so. And they ought to. They ought to. But when they get 15, they're going to start wondering, why? Why? And just I said so will not do it. You better be able to go to the scriptures and say, this is what the Bible says. 
That's why God's given you a church, to help you understand what the Bible says and how to apply it to life. That's why it's important that you be in the right kind of church. Because there's a lot of churches out there today that teach a lot of things, or I should say, don't teach a lot of things that are taught in the scriptures. Many of them today are teaching, they're called churches, are teaching that drinking alcohol is okay. Social drinking is okay. Even in fundamental circles. They even, churches teaching that homosexuality is okay. I know that's quite extreme, but it's true. Of course, the church is teaching that church is not important. Any, any church will do. But, you know, not all churches are the same, just as all Bible versions are not the same. Not all churches are the same. And so it is important as husbands that we lead, that we make decisions that are in line, that we understand what the Bible says, that requires, of course, we be in the Word of God ourselves, be faithful in hearing the Word of God taught so we can apply it in our homes. In our homes. So that we might lead our wives and our children in their relationship with the Lord. So husbands, love your wives. Lead your wives. That God might be glorified in your home. Let's pray.